Hi, I'm Reverend Wendy Craig Purcell here at the Unity Center in San Diego. Thank you so much for watching today. If you'd like to support the work that we do here, please consider making a contribution. Go to our website. It's easy to do. Thank you in advance for that contribution. So I said I wanted to talk this month about how do we come out of this crazy, crazy time we've been through, right? Some of you are nodding your head like, how do we come out of this? Do we really want to go back to what was? And I suggest that no, no. We want to go forward and create what can be. We want to hold a vision for ourselves, for one another, for humanity of what is possible. And so that means inner work, I think. That means deepening into our spiritual practice. It means revisiting some of the basics and realizing that our very lives, whatever they look like right now, is a perfect laboratory for us to practice. And as you were listening to this, the song, Joy and Peace in My Heart, I always feel, you might be thinking, but I don't always feel that. There are plenty of times, and certainly of late, that I haven't felt all of that. But you see, ours is not a religion, per se. Ours is not come and sit in a place like this on a Sunday morning and listen to a talk and then just go out and live your life the way you always have. Ours is about coming into a community like this, learning spiritual principles and practices, and then taking them out and actually applying them when we don't feel like it, when it doesn't seem like it's working. You know, the whole, some of the whole work of the Institute of Heart Math is about the idea that we can volitionally practice holding certain feelings, certain ways of being, and that in doing so, we actually change ourselves physiologically and neurologically. Unity is founded on that idea as well. What the Institute of Heart Math is known for doing is providing documentation of that, doing research on that, and, and showing why and how it works, its efficacy. Some of us need that. Some of us don't need that. Some of us just need to know, tell me some of the things I can practice that will make a difference so that I can live a, a better life, so that instead of just trying to bring back what was, I can stand on all that can be. Jesus, our teacher and way shower, in unity we look at him mystically and metaphysically. He gave such powerful insights into consciousness. I entitled the talk today, Like the Lilies of the Field. Some of you will remember where those words come from and what they point to. Some of you are not maybe as aware of some of the verses in the New Testament or the Old Testament. Like the lilies of the field was a metaphor that Jesus was using, trying to help people understand a different way of being. Let me read to you the passage that it comes from in the Gospel of Luke. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They neither toil nor spin. They're not efforting. They're not laboring. They neither toil nor spin. Yet even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? 
what was Jesus trying to portray here? I think, in part, he was trying to portray a certain way of being in the midst of life when life is challenging. That even in the midst of the challenge, that there is a way of being that is more at ease, that is more gracious, that is more peace-filled. I believe that Jesus, above all else, was a master teacher of consciousness. And as we grow and evolve in consciousness, as we practice simple principles, and I'm going to share three of them with you today, as we practice them, our lives do begin to change. And they change from the inside out in very fundamental and very incremental ways. And because the ways are incremental and because the ways that change presents itself in our lives, a positive change takes time, we have to be patient. We have to be consistent and steadfast in our practice. And the reward for that is we create lives that work so much better for ourselves and for one another. Many of you in this room are familiar with the teachings, the writings of Deepak Chopra. And he, he writes something about what are what's evidence of evolution and consciousness, what's evidence, if you will, of enlightenment. Let me read something to you. He says, according to Vedanta, there are only two symptoms of enlightenment. Two symptoms of enlightenment. Just two indications that a transformation is taking place within you toward higher consciousness. Would you like to know what he says those are? Okay, I'll tell you what he says they are. The first symptom... I prefer the word evidence. Symptom sounds kind of negative to me. But he says the first symptom is that you stop worrying. Consider the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. The first symptom, the first evidence is that you stop worrying. Things don't bother you anymore. You become lighthearted and full of joy. Lighthearted and full of joy. The second symptom is that you encounter more and more meaningful coincidences in your life, more and more synchronicities. And this accelerates to the point where you actually experience the miraculous. This is what Deepak is saying, pointing back to the ancient writings in the Vedanta, that these, this is evidence of enlightenment. This is evidence of evolving in consciousness, that we don't worry as much. We're more lighthearted. And some of you, you in this room can say, yeah, I think I'm, I'm making some progress there. Please don't ever judge the person next to you, okay? You, you probably, especially if you live with the person, you probably know an awful lot about where they are in their development. Right? It's not about judging them. It's about looking inside and saying, wait a minute. Am I living my life today maybe with a little bit less worry than I used to? Is there a little more lightheartedness? Does it seem like there are a few more coincidences happening? My dad used to always call them coinkydings. A few more coincidences, a few more synchronicities where it's like, hey, I'm just at the right place at the right time meeting the right people, or gosh, I don't know how it happened, but doors of possibility are opening for me. Don't take these things lighthearted. I mean, do take these lighthearted. Pay attention to them, but, but know that they... They're evidence of something important that's going on. 
So I said to you I wanted to share with you just some simple, simple practices that help us move there. And the first can be used really like a mantra. In fact, I think it should be. And each of these are meant to be used when we feel like we're slipping, when we feel like we're losing our center. Can you relate to that at all? Any of you ever feel like you, you know, you have periods of your life where you're more balanced and more centered and things are going well? Not your head if you had that? And have you have periods of time where it's not like that at all? Yeah? Okay. So it's more, you know, do we need much help when things are going well? I don't think so. We want to stay consistent with our practices, but, but it's not, it's, it's a different qualitative experience. And when things are really challenged for us and we're feeling anxious or upset, to be able to hold on to some things that can help us move past that. And the first is contained in these simple ideas. Notice you're all right, right now. Notice, and I'd like you to do this right now. Notice you're all right, right now. Take your hand, if you're so inclined, and just touch your heart. And just affirm to yourself, either aloud or softly, I notice... I'm all right, right now. I notice I'm all right, right now. Our brains are such that they are always scanning the environment, consciously and otherwise, for what's wrong. Our brains are hardwired. This is not necessarily negative or bad. Our brains, to protect us as a species, are wired in such a way that they, it, the brain is always aware of or paying attention to trying to take in a potential threat, potential harm. It's a great way for a physical being, for an animal, to survive, right? You want to know if there's any threats in your environment. But it's a pretty crummy way for people in this day and age to be living consistently. And that's the part where our practice has to come in, where we have to be able to balance what's going on in the old reptilian brain, looking for everything that could happen that could be a threat and training ourselves to also volitionally, at will, be able to move into the felt experience that right in this moment, right in this moment, I'm all right. To override the brain's wiring for apprehension and to practice right now, I'm all right. What do I mean by right now? I don't mean a minute from now. I mean right in this teeny tiny slice of the eternal now. I am all right. I don't know what's going to happen in the next moment, and you don't either. But right in this teeny tiny slice, right now, I am all right, and so are you. Why is this important? 
Because to live with a constant feeling of anxiety, to live with a constant feeling of threat, is to infuse our body and our life with toxicity, if you will. It's to cause us to live in a very small, tight compartment. It's, to, it's almost as if we are treating the body in a way like we wouldn't treat our car. We would not think of having one foot on the gas pedal and one foot on the brake at all times and using them both. Why? It would wear the heck out of the car, right? And that's kind of like what happens to us if we don't also develop practices, spiritual practices, that help us to cultivate a different way of being internally. His Holiness the Dalai Lama says, if you have fear of some pain or suffering, you should examine whether there is anything you can do about it. If you can, he says, do it. If you can do something about the pain and suffering you're feeling right now, then do it. If you can, there is no need to worry about it because you can do something about it. If you can't do anything, there's no need to worry either because you can't do anything. And the worry doesn't make it any better. In fact, the worry makes it what? Yes, it really does. Clear wisdom. And you know, and when I think of His Holiness the Dalai Lama or I think of teachers like, like Thich Nhat Hanh or Eckhart Tolle, I've experienced, each of them actually in person, and some of you have as well, that they, you see the symptoms that, that Deepak writes about of the evidence of enlightenment or aware consciousness. You see a sense of joyfulness and lightheartedness, while at the same time, these beings have the ability to hold the, the, um, the, the conflict or the dissonance of the reality of challenges in life. It's not that they ever deny them, but they're also able to hold and be in that other space. And this is what these spiritual practices over time can do for us as well. It's not that they shut us down and cause us to put our heads in the sand like, like an ostrich and pretend that everything's okay when it's not. But they prepare us in such a way to be more open-minded and clear-minded and open-hearted and ready to deal with whatever does come up that is a threat, that is a challenge, that is a problem that needs our attention. So putting it into practice is about present moment attention, right? Present moment attention. Right now, in this very moment, I am okay, and so are you. The second is similar, and it is another practice. It's a practice of physically feeling safer. The practice of feeling safer. And so what I'd like you to do is imagine right now that you are as safe as you could possibly be. As safe as you could possibly be. Whatever that might look like for you, maybe you call to mind a memory or a place or a feeling. But I bet you can move into that feeling of, I'm safe right now. I'm safe. Going back to that crazy, I shouldn't say crazy, going back to that old reptilian brain that's always scanning for what is a potential threat? That brain would be scanning and might be hearing some rustling in the bushes and think, oh my God, that's a tiger about to bounce on me. 
And it's going to respond in a quick way to make sure that it protects itself. But what if the rustling in the bush was just a little bunny rabbit? The brain is still doing the same thing and it's still having the same physical effect on the body. We are wired in such a way that we're going to pay attention first to the possibility that it is a real threat. Why? Because to ignore that is to risk what? Harm or death. But the challenge is in our day and age, and this is where we need to be gut-wrenching honest with ourselves, the challenge is in our day and age, many of us have trained ourselves to, to be in a state of constant alert, to be in a state of constantly on edge, to make things much bigger than they really are, the negative things, much bigger than they really are. And that is to our detriment of peace of mind and physical well-being. It's also to the detriment and potential damage of our relationships. Because if we are always in that psychological, emotional, and spiritual state, we are not really available to one another. We are not really available to the good, to what is possible, to what is joyful. As we're coming out of this crazy time, we want to make sure that we dial back or turn down any of the unrealistic, unwarranted anxiety that maybe some of us had been living in for these last year plus, and really practice noticing when we seem to be losing a sense of well-being, when we seem to be imagining threats or, or thinking that there are threats when there are not. I had the opportunity to try to practice this idea of feeling safer in the moment. Somewhat recently, my mom came out from the East Coast for a visit for a few weeks, and we took a drive up to um, Solvang with her. And it was a, a fine for part of the drive, but man, the traffic today and the aggressiveness on the freeways and the reckless driving on the freeways I am not by nature an anxious person or a nervous person. I'm a confident driver. I have a pretty solid car. I know what my car can do. Took over seven and a half hours <clears throat> to drive home, <clears throat> something that should have taken maybe four and a half hours, in large part because of a lot of the traffic and a lot of very, very reckless driving. And I noticed, because I know how important it is to pay attention, I noticed my hands doing this on the steering wheel, holding tighter and tighter. I could feel it in my body. Some of it was warranted, but it was too much given the experience. And it wasn't helpful. What was more helpful, what was more necessary, was to be alert, but to be alert in a relaxed and prepared way not in an anxious way. It reminded me, too, of my few years of practicing the martial art of Aikido, which is a martial art that is all about not 
It's, it's about protecting yourself and protecting the other who might be harming you in a nonviolent way. It's a very unique martial art. And one of the things you learn in this particular martial art is you practice, practice, practice. You prepare, you prepare, you prepare. You learn the techniques, you learn the moves, much like you do in meditation. You practice, practice, practice. What does it feel like to be more present, to be more clear-minded, to be more spacious? So that then, when life happens, then when there is a threat, you are prepared to meet it in a calm way. You are safe even in the midst of something that can feel like a threat. And out of that practice sense of clear mind and clear heart, you are better equipped than to draw upon everything that you've learned to help you be able to deal with that particular situation. So when you notice you're going through your day or you're preparing for a meeting and you can feel your body tensing, your hands tensing, or your breathing getting shallow, you pause. You pause, the spiritual pause. You pause, you take a deep breath in and out. You use all that breath work that we do together in meditation. You take a deep breath in, you release that breath, and you notice that sense of release. You do that again so that you move from not just releasing and relaxing on a physical level, but you take another deep breath in and out. And with that cleansing breath, you practice being present with a clear mind. And you do that again and practice being more spacious and more open so that you can be more prepared from a place of inner safety. From a place of inner safety. And the last is what I shared the quotes with you from this morning. The last practice is smile. And I so wish you didn't have your masks on. Please do keep them on. But smile. Smile. Do you, do you remember, maybe you had this experience, I sure did during the, the days of the, the real severe days of the lockdown and so forth, wearing my mask and being out in public. And I'm a person who loves smiles. When I meet you or I spend time with you in the line, it's not your eyes I notice as much as your smile. So I'm very much a, a smile person. And in those early days, and even now when I'm out with my mask and shopping, it's like I want my, I tell my eyes, pay attention to the fact that my mouth is smiling. I want my eyes to smile until people can see my smile. What does smiling do? Do you know there's research on what smiling does? Do you know that it takes more muscles to frown than it does to smile? Do you know that sometimes you smile because you're feeling joy, right? Or you're happy, or you're relieved, or you've, you've remembered something that just is pleasant. But did you also know that sometimes just the act of smiling can trigger that, can move you into that feeling? Thich Nhat Hanh has said, sometimes your joy is the source of your smile, and sometimes your smile is the source of your joy. Let me repeat that, I like that. Sometimes your joy is the source of your smile, and sometimes your smile is the source of your joy. It is a good one. I've been making that a practice of late, because sometimes I can just either get into a funk. Any of you ever get into a funk, or am I the only person? Or coming out of this pandemic, you know, just feeling like, okay, what what is the the new norm I want to establish? And and 
my mom used to say, Wendy, you were born serious. You were serious as a baby. So I think she's probably right. And some of it works to my advantage, but not, not always. So I've decided that smiling is something I need to practice doing just for the heck of it. Just because. I like that quote. I think it was Mickey Rooney, Andy Rooney, who said, when you smile in private, it means you really mean it. So, you know, when you're driving your car, especially if the traffic's awful, smile. Don't give a less than supportive hand gesture. Not only is that not nice, but it can get you killed. Don't do that, you know? Smile, smile. So, so let me circle back. Like the lilies of the field, they toil not, either, neither do they spin. Yet all in glory, not even Solomon was arrayed like these. That there really is, I want you to hear this, there really is a different and better way of living your life. And it comes from what you choose to practice in here. You and I will never be able to control everything out here. We do have some control or mastery, whatever word you prefer, over some things out here. But we will never be able to control it all. But what we can always control, whether we choose to or not, whether we admit to it or not, whether we want to or not, we can always control how we're going to think, how we're going to feel, and what we are going to practice. And so I've given you a few things that hopefully will be helpful, that you might and I might be a little more like the lilies of the field. Namaste. Namaste.